You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Well, there's, there's a few things that are coming up, and a very big welcome to all of you. Um, why don't you? We haven't had our meet and greet time yet, have we? That's where we turn around to the person close by you and say hello. If you don't know them, introduce yourselves and then ask them what their first memory of the scariest movie they've ever seen was. Okay, what is your first memory of a scary movie? Okay, you've got a few seconds to do that while I attend to some things here. Okay, you guys are enjoying that question far too much. Don't you know scary movies are bad for you? (laughs) Caleb Baldwin, I'm intrigued. What's your memory of your first scary movie? And it can't be Disney. You, you, You haven't seen a scary movie yet? Very protective parents. <laughs> Haven't seen any movies. <laughs> just, just Carlton replays from 1995. <laughs> the stuff after that's a bit scary. Um, fantastic. Well, I remember mine very, very well. Who has ever seen The Ghost and Mr. Chicken? The Ghost and Mr. Chicken with Don Knotts. Yeah? Laurie. Just Laurie and I. The rest of you, just, it was too scary, I know. It's kind of a, kind of a <laughs> luxury. <laughs> the Ghost and Mr. Chicken. That was, I think, one of my earliest memories of a movie that scared me. That and those magnificent men in their flying machines. But, but The Ghost and Mr. Chicken in particular, if, if you haven't seen it, find it. Track it down. See it. It's, it's fantastic. You know, um, I'm going to tie all of this in in just a moment. Maybe, <laughs> but uh, you know we've been um, we've been looking at uh, the D of abide. Um, we want to be a we, a group of people who bring glory to Jesus Christ by bearing much fruit, and fruit is the inevitability of abiding in Jesus Christ. How do we abide? Well, if you were to to just meet all together, be still, imitate Jesus Christ, devote yourselves to one another, and be envoys of grace. That wouldn't necessarily mean that you were abiding. That would be some twisted form of legalism. But if you do those things, it is possible that you will have more success in abiding in Christ. We've had a look at the A, the fact that we should be doing this corporately all together. The B, in a society where we're running at a frenetic pace, we just need to take time to be still and to pray and to seek God. I imitate Jesus Christ. He is both God and man, but man as man is supposed to be. So he is, he is the perfect model of what we should uh, be ourselves and to imitate him. And the D is for devotion to one another. And a few weeks ago, you might remember, um, we actually had a look at this. Jesus' commandment in uh, John chapter 13, verse 34, A new command I give you, he says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. I think they were virtually my parting words before I went to Greece. So how have you been doing on that? Cool. (laughs) You know what? As as soon as I preached that sermon, I thought, you know, this will be tested. And uh, (laughs) we had a look at at John chapter 15. And in particular, we, we looked at the fact that you have been loved with a perfect love. You have been loved with a perfect love. Your heavenly Father has loved you with a perfect love. And Jesus invites you to experience that perfect love more and more by being obedient to his commands. And then he says, having experienced it, share it. Share the love. Love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another. 
Now, Satan is always going to, going to be keen to, to test that. But uh, we were pretty committed to it, even the, even the trip that went to, to Greece. In fact, there was perhaps one of my um, favorite moments was, was one evening, um, a sort of a, in, a, in a cafe at the, at the top of the building, and we sat around um, indulging ourselves uh, with chocolate souffles, actually. And as we were waiting for them to come, it was, it was young Josh Ball there, reflecting on the day said you know what guys I reckon we're I don't know if these is his exact words being too Australian but but we're starting to knock each other a little bit and he said I'll tell you what I reckon from now on whenever we say something you know just a little bit off about you know another person we need to actually encourage them um, or come forth with two encouragements for that person as well and then somehow, I don't know who suggested this, do you, Josh? We added 20 push-ups as well. So two encouragements and, and, and 20 push-ups, I might have said that. And so um, it was fantastic throughout the, throughout the you know, uh, next few weeks or so to, to actually see the guys coming good on that and, and just pick, picking up on that, that Aussie sense of humor and encouraging one another and getting fit um, in the process as well. You know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Sometimes we've really got to think about this thing about being devoted to one another, to, to truly loving one another. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another. Um, John 15.9.12, you have been loved with this perfect love, so, so share the experience with others. But there are some enemies of love. It won't come easy. This commitment that we have to, to being devoted to one another and to, and to loving each other as a community, to, to exploring and delving into a deeper unity in Jesus Christ, this is not going to come easy to us. This is going to be hard-won territory. It really is. And so we explored what, what are some of the enemies that we're going to face, enemies of devotion to one another. And one of the first ones we looked at was a few weeks ago, my friend Felix Machumba from Zambia, um, came and shared on, on the issue of forgiveness. You see, unforgiveness is one of the first enemies to truly loving each other. If we have not forgiven, forgiven uh, or experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and forgiven one another, we, we can't express that love. It is an enemy of love, an enemy of devotion. We must forgive others. We absolutely must. And Felix explored that with us. And so I want to talk to you this morning about one of the the other enemies of love now we could talk about so many things couldn't we what is an enemy of being devoted to one another we could talk about just well, well sin that's an enemy right there just sinning that will that will be an enemy of devotion um pride jealousy envy anger selfishness gossip paul mentions all of these things i, I just want to focus on a couple that perhaps we might not think of um, unforgiveness is one of the enemies and this morning, I want to talk to you about one of the others, and it's a biggie. And it's going to take the Holy Spirit to actually help us, because this one actually gets hidden in very, very deep, very, very dark places. The enemy of your soul does not want you to realize this enemy, and it's fear. It's the enemy of fear. Fear will stop us from being devoted to one another. Fear will stop us from truly loving others. Fear will stop us from loving God. Fear will stop us from experiencing the love of God. And definitely fear will stop us from, from loving each other. And we need, to, we need to talk about fear. Fear paralyzes us and with it our ability to love. Even 
that's true on an individual scale, but think about it on a national scale right now. Think about Europe, who is on the one hand trying to accept in as many refugees as it can. On the other hand, it is experiencing acts of terror. And what do those acts of terror do? By definition, they create fear. What does fear do? It causes paralysis. It paralyzes the nation. It stops them from reaching out with love to refugees and, and those who need it. And so that's fear, fear paralyzes us and, and our ability to love. We experience, um, we experience fear in, in a number of areas. We can experience fear about finances. We can experience fear in our marriages. We can experience fear with our children. We can experience fear with the future. We can be fearful about our past catching up with us. We can be fearful about our career. We can be fearful about friendships. But in truth, these are just areas in which we can experience fear. Fear itself is, is actually a little bit like underwear. It's actually hidden beneath other layers. It's not, the, it's not the stuff that you wear on the outside and strut around and saying, look at my fears. No, fears are hidden, usually, not only from others, but often from ourselves as well. And there are root causes of fear. And, and they're far beyond just finances and marriage and children and future and past and career and friendships. There are root causes to fear. Sometimes the, the root is a, a, it's a fear of shame or a fear of disappointment, a fear of failure, a fear of loneliness, a fear of rejection, a fear of exposure, or a fear even of loss. And those fears will paralyze us. Those fears the enemy can use to stop us from experiencing the love of God and stop us from loving others truly as Jesus has loved us. So we need to deal with those fears. We know from Romans 8.38 that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God, don't we? We know that. So, so, so how is it that fear can somehow interfere with with our experience of the, the love of God. Um, it's, it's a little bit like this. Maybe this analogy will help. Um, the love of God is, is, is like light. It's like light that beams through the windows. But being fearful is a little bit like being in a room and, and pulling, the curtains, pulling the curtains shut. My first um, viewing of the ghost and Mr. Chicken, I remember being actually quite fearful. As a young kid, I was, I was scared that there really was a ghost in the house, that somehow this, this, this happened to Mr. Chicken and it could happen to me as well. I mean, if it happens to Mr. Chicken, why couldn't it happen to me? And as I watched the movie Fear, all of a sudden left the television and came and entered into me. The threat actually was no longer in the movie or the TV. The threat was actually in me. And fear is a little bit like that. It's, it's like all of a sudden we, we withdraw and we close the curtains. And, and so, yes, nothing can separate us from the love of God, but we can close ourselves off from fully experiencing it. We can draw the curtains around our lives. It's like shutting our eyes and saying, no, 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 I don't want to. We can not be separated from God's love, but we can diminish our experience of it by closing ourselves off. We know from 1 John 4, 18, that perfect love casts out all fear, don't, don't we? Well, what does that mean? I, I guess that's a little bit like 
opening up the curtains of our life. And light, like love, dispels it. It it reaches into our room, our dark soul, and it dispels the darkness. It dispels the fear. As light dispels the darkness, so love dispels the fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And so it seems that in this whole matter, it is important somehow in dealing with fear so that we can be the very, very best lovers that that we possibly can be, it seems that somehow in dealing with our fears, we have to open up the curtains of our life, open up the curtains of our soul. Well, how do we do that? Well, firstly, we need to understand fear. Matthew chapter 8 is a shorter account of Jesus calming the storm. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, A furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? It it, it seems here that behind fear, is unbelief. You have little faith or little belief. Why are you so afraid? Behind all fear is unbelief. Some years ago, um, we were kind of late in terms of the housing market. We'd been overseas as uh, serving as missionaries for <coughs> some time. And I guess we we're... Um, in our 40s, and, and we just felt this prompting by the Lord, it's time to, to buy a house. We'd been saving for many, many years. We had $20. And, and so we thought, all right, Lord, what sort of a house should we buy? We've got this deposit of $20. And, uh, and it was just absolutely ridiculous, the discussions that, that we had beyond that. But we felt the Lord saying, no, I want you, I want you to do this. So eventually we, um, we found, um, so with a little bit of help from our parents and so forth, we, we found ourselves able to raise just under the 10% deposit needed and we, and we so-called bought a home or we entered into a partnership with a, with a bank that bought us and bought the home. And this was before the global financial crisis and interest rates were on the rise. Now... I, I recall working in the, in the banking industry, um, fresh out of school, when interest rates were going up around 17, 18%. Some of you remember those times. And uh, some people were whispering, of course, before the GFC, that that's exactly what's going to happen. Those interest rates are going to, they're just going to keep going up and up and up. This is the end of the world as we know it. And uh, I, I had a, working with pioneers, I had some meetings in Sydney. I had a, Usually, you know, we'd sort of fly, fly up, fly, fly back. But um, on this occasion, they needed some kilometres done on one of the leased vehicles. So, so I actually drove up and drove back, which I was looking forward to because it would give me just time to pray and, and, uh, and so forth. And <coughs> unfortunately, instead of it being a wonderful time of worship and praise, just about the entire way up there, I remember thinking, those interest rates are getting higher and higher. I mean, we can only just pay this mortgage off but I don't know if we can do much more there'd already been a number of 
incremental interest rate rises. And, and the whole way up there, I remember thinking, oh boy, we're not going to be able to hang on. We're not going to be able to hang on. And, uh, and then all the way back, there's just lots of worry, lots of anxiety, lots of fear. I was just, uh, just so caught up with the fact that financially speaking, one more interest rate rise and, and I don't think, you know, we could cope. <coughs> you know, behind all fear is, is unbelief. The one thing I didn't do until too late on that trip was to turn to God and to ask Him, in terms of unbelief here, God, what am I failing to grasp? What is it that I do not believe? What is it that I am having trouble with at this particular time? You know, we all know that in, in times of difficulty and times of challenge, that, you know, where there are natural responses for, for panic of fight or flight. But fight and flight have two younger siblings, control and withdrawal. Sometimes um, a lot of life is not lived in that panic moment of fight, but amidst the worry and amidst the concerns and the weight and the difficulties and the challenges of this life, as we get weighed down with, with fear, it's not so much fight, but we try to control our situation. And in controlling it, we can actually do a lot of harm to ourselves and others. And then the younger sibling of, of flight is withdrawal. Again, out of fear, we withdraw from others, we withdraw from relationships, we withdraw into ourselves. And, and perhaps even we find distractions and so forth and ways to just not even think about life. And, and so in that way, manage in, to some extent our fear. Well, the good news, having understand fear or understanding fear, is that there is an antidote. In John, just before chapter 15... These, these comfort passages, passages of immense comfort. This is a time where the, where the disciples have every reason to, to fight or flight, and a little bit of that went on, didn't it, with the disciples. This is the moment where Jesus needs to reassure them. This is the moment where the disciples could be forgiven for panicking because of the sorts of things that Jesus is saying, such as, I'll be out of here soon. Well, that would kind of scare you as one of, one of the followers of Jesus. And yet here... In these, these beautiful chapters, our Savior speaks tenderly and gives the disciples some good news and us some good news as well. Firstly, note in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says to the disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here's the good news. Belief throws open the curtains belief is the mechanism that throws open the curtains to your soul that allows the love of god to shine in once more and eradicate fear perfect love casts out all fear belief is the way to usher in the love of god the light of god behind all fear is unbelief and the antidote is belief Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. There's the antidote. Is your heart troubled? What do you need to do? You need to believe Jesus. You need to believe in him. You need to believe that he is who he says he is. You need to believe every single word that he speaks. And then he goes on. In John chapter 14, verses 26 to, to 27, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What's Jesus promising on this occasion? On this occasion, Jesus is, is promising that the Holy Spirit is going to come and help teach you. If you're having trouble believing, guess what? His Holy Spirit will actually come and help you with that. He's very, very good at it. You might, you might kind of feel, oh, well, it's hard for me to grasp this particular truth. It's hard for me to believe you about that God. That's okay. The Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the paraclete, he's going to come and he's going to help you. He's actually going to teach you all these things. And one of the results of this, as belief opens up the curtains, is the very peace of God is going to come in to your soul. Peace will enter into your life. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. On this occasion, belief results in peace. Excuse me, still struggling a little bit with a cold. Um, John chapter um, 16, verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. When will Jesus see them again? Of course, when the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes, what is he going to do? This is another reference to, I will see you again. The Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher. He will bring about belief on this occasion. When belief comes, it's going to result in joy. Belief will open up the curtains of your life once, once more, or the curtains of your soul, and peace will come in. But this time, joy is going to come in. And then in John chapter 16, verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came from God. On this occasion, you believed that I came from God. On this occasion, belief throws open the curtains and love enters into your soul. Now, does God not love you whether you believe or not? Absolutely. But does it impact your experience of his love? Absolutely. On this occasion, when you believe in Jesus, when you believe in the Father, the Father is going to give you a special manifestation of his love. He's going to manifest that in a special way to you. On this occasion, belief throws open the curtains and love enters in. On each occasion, as belief throws open the curtains, the light of God enters in, the peace, peace enters in, his joy enters in, and his love enters in. As you believe, as you exercise faith and trust in God, this can be your experience. Peace, joy, love, they can be yours in greater measure, and they will dispel fear. Perfect love casts out or fear what we're really reading here is nothing new jesus is reiterating what isaiah spoke of isaiah 26 3 and 4 and you probably know this this verse do you you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind remains focused on you because he remains in you trust in the lord forever for in the lord god you have an everlasting rock you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind remains focused on you. The idea there of the, the focus is that we have this, we, we talked about in terms of loving others, in terms of, in terms of scoping out their best interests. It is like we have um, a telescope available to us. 
Now, much of the time, you know, that is twisted around and we, we stare at the big end and just look at our reflection and look at our Facebook page and look at, our, look at us. We're kind of enamored by that image. And God invites us to turn that telescope around and to say, no, actually, I want you to, I want you to look at me and I want you to look at others. I want you to use that telescope to express your love, affection and devotion to others by scoping out their interests. Why don't you use that telescope that you have and focus it up on me and, and scope out my interests? What are my commands? What is it that I ask of you? How can you follow me better? How can you understand what it is that, that I long for you? And when we scope out God and understand Him, we are, we are loving Him. When we turn that telescope around to others and we, and we look at them, we are loving them. We are learning to scope out their best interests and have their best interests at heart. And that is at the heart of, of love itself. So in Isaiah, here's what happens as we turn that telescope towards God, as we look at Him and as we focus on Him, we experience this perfect peace. Here is his abiding presence because he remains in you. As we focus our attention on God, as we, as we order our mind to understand the mind of God, his perfect peace rests upon us. And then Isaiah goes on to say, Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord God you have an everlasting rock. And so part of what God invites us to do is to, is to flip open those curtains, to believe in Him, to, to focus on Him, to set our mind on understanding, understanding Him. Halfway through my, my trip back from Sydney, as I was just going over the numbers again, I was going over the figures. Half a percent interest rate rise would equal this. You know, and I was, I was breaking down all those mortgage repayments, and then it just wasn't working. And in a moment of frustration... I just said, you know, God, why would you lead us to, to buy the house if with these interest rate rises, we're not going to be able to hang on to it? Why would you do that? And finally, I asked him the question, what am I not seeing in this picture? What am I currently not believing that I have to believe? And the Lord led me to some passages of Scripture that are very, very precious that talked about the fact that, Stuart, you came into the world with nothing. You're going to leave the world with nothing. Ownership is a myth. If you let go of this, I tell you, it will no longer have a hold on you. I was stunned. It was that simple. And I was embarrassed. I thought, how did that happen? How did I become so obsessed in somehow hanging on to the house? Of course. We've lived in over a hundred different houses in our lives. Like, actually, literally, we have. The Lord has always provided a roof over our heads. Why, all of a sudden, is this the one that I need to hang on to somehow? This is captured in 1 Chronicles chapter, chapter 29. David is, David is encouraging Israel to come and to, to bring an offering to the Lord so that Solomon can build the temple. And he captures this whole myth of ownership and provision beautifully. He says in verse 11, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Who does it belong to? God. 
Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. Um, in verse 14, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Verse 16, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. It all belongs to God. How did I not see that? As I was driving home, I thought, of course, here I am trying to think how I'll be able to meet the next mortgage payment and, you know, and hang on to the house. I'm not supposed to hang on to the house. It's not mine. It's God's. And if he wants my name to be on some title somewhere, you know, oh, well, nice, cute, neat, but I'm not taking it with me to heaven. Apparently, there's already a house up there and there's plenty of rooms. So we don't need to take this one. Peace. Once my beliefs were corrected, peace just flooded into that car in that moment like I cannot tell you. I was laughing. I was literally laughing, thinking, how did I get so worked up about this? This is ridiculous. God, of course, I just surrender it to you. I don't really care about the house. When did I start caring about that? I am looking to you, not to, not to our particular house and that particular roof. I'm looking to you again. It was just a matter of correcting my belief system. And then came peace. But Jesus is promising not just peace, but joy as well and a fresh and new experience of love. And so, belief is the antidote to fear. There are some things that you need to unbelieve with your new belief. Some things need undoing. And I wonder for you, what fears have somehow gotten a hold of your life? As I say, this is where you need to invite the Holy Spirit to come and show you because it's not always easy. You need the Holy Spirit to just come and speak to you about that, that little thing that you actually don't like to acknowledge or pray about a whole lot. But there's fear there. It's a dark place. The curtains are drawn on that particular space in your soul. And belief needs to come in and help you draw those curtains back. And enable you to experience the fullness of God, his peace, his joy, and his love. How do you do that? Quiet moments. Will you just invite Jesus to come and to speak into this situation? Once, you, once the Holy Spirit light, you know, enlightens you and shows you where that fear is, just invite Jesus to come and speak to that. Jesus, what do you have to say about this? Just turn to Jesus and say, what do you have to say about this fear? What would you like to, to speak into this situation? And then understand the difference between hearing and listening. 
The difference between hearing and listening. We hear all the time. We can open up the Word of God and we can hear from the Word of God. Perfect love casts out all fear, but we've got to go deeper. Listen. Not just hear it. Listen to those words. Perfect love casts out all fear. Can you listen to that? Can you allow that truth to take root in your life? Can, can you allow that belief to enter into your very being and start to pull those curtains back? There's a difference between hearing and listening. You need to listen to God. Let's practice with John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay, you've heard it. Now listen to that. Let the words permeate your very spirit. Let them enter into your soul. Let Jesus minister this to you. Let God speak to you. Listen. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's a fact. As we listen, as that, as that belief, a very important one, takes root in us, it's freeing, it's liberating. Fear is pushed back. The curtains are drawn open. Light floods into your soul. The love of God is allowed to enter. And as you are freed, you are able to love others as you have been loved. You might still object in the nicest way possible because you're very nice people. Stuart, this is hard. This is just tough. It's tough to let those, those beliefs Come in. It's hard to, to pull those curtains back. The, you don't understand the sort of, the sort of fears that, that hold me to my seat and don't allow me to get up and to pull back the curtains. Well, here's one other tip. Thanksgiving. It's like a primer. I got a lawnmower, trusty little thing. It needs three primes, with the throttle on full, before I start to pull back the rope and, and ignite it and get the thing going. But if I do those three primes, guaranteed, it'll start every time. And with a little bit of a service and a kick, and sometimes I knock it too. But that primer, that primer helps. And Thanksgiving can be a little bit like a primer to belief. If you're finding it hard to believe God in a particular area, start to thank Him for it. I don't know what area that might be for you. But if it's just difficult, if it's challenging, you say, well, I don't know that I can believe God about that because of this and this and this and this and this. That's all right. I, I, I understand. Relax. Remember, the Holy Spirit, is he'll be your teacher here. But here's a primer for you. Start to give God thanks. 
Start to thank him for these things. It's an expression of faith. It's an expression of trust. And it, it just seems to be a primer towards belief. And it just helps you pull those curtains wide open and allow that peace and that joy and that love, all the full expression of God's very being to come in and minister to you. So start to give thanks. It is one of the most powerful weapons that we have at our disposal. Thanksgiving. If you're finding it difficult to trust that God really is sovereign, that God really is in control, then just start to thank Him. Thank Him for His omnipresence. Thank you, Lord, that, that you were there in France, and I don't understand how things happened the way that they happened when you were present there. Evil happens in this world, but you were there. And somehow... You were accomplishing your purposes. I thank you for that. And I thank you that the, the plans of the enemy cannot thwart your plans. You are sovereign. The Bible is filled with stories and narrative, history of how you, you continue to thwart the evil one's plans and, and win victory after victory after victory. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Revelation, which gives us the ultimate glimpse of how victorious you are. Thank you that there is a scroll with the destiny of all humanity in the very hand of God, and the Lamb is worthy to implement that destiny. Thank you, Jesus. Give thanks. Call up every belief that you know. Call up Scripture. <coughs> it primes belief. It brings you into that place where you are able to not be captive to your fears, but to be able to be free as God has, has made you to be. So I wonder, in this moment, and I will give you a moment, maybe you'd like to close your eyes and invite the Holy Spirit to come and to, to speak to you. And to show you any, any fears that have held you captive for, for too long. And as the Holy Spirit shows you those things. Invite Jesus to speak into that. Jesus... We see this together now. What would you like to say to this? <coughs> and as he shows you, Start to give thanks. I want to thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have loved us with a perfect love. The same love that you loved Jesus with, Jesus has loved us with. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Remain in that love. I thank you, Father, that our experience of that love is multiplied. 
as we become obedient to your plans for our lives, which are good plans, plans to prosper us and to give us a future. And I thank you that that love is so bountiful. There's enough to go around. We can share that love with others. I thank you that you call us to be devoted to one another, to love others in the same way that we have been loved. And I pray that as a community, we would do this par excellence. We thank you, Jesus, your wonderful name. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net. Dot net.